0: Welcome to the Nerd Party.
1: Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party network that is dedicated to looking at the non Star Wars work of Star Wars creators. Although sometimes we do Star Wars stuff that they did too, but you know, that's sort of the gray area we go to sometimes. But anyway, I'm one of your hosts, John, and I'm Mike. And this week, we are going to be uh, discussing the lost 1990s gem uh, story by George Lucas, executive produced by George Lucas, Radioland Murders, starring Brian Ben-Ben and a whole cast of people you recognize but have trouble naming on
0: occasion. Oh, Mary Stewart Masterson. She's well, besides her.
1: But you, you know who
0: I'm talking about. Like, you, you'll see plenty of actors in this one where you're like, oh, that guy. Oh, her. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be completely honest with you, like, if you were to just show me a bunch of headshots of those actors, probably the one that I would have the hardest trouble naming is Brian Ben-Ben, because I don't <laughs> yep. think I've seen him in anything other than this.
1: Uh, he was, at the time, the star of an HBO show called
0: Dream On. Is this the one that had, like, the random clips of, like, old movies cut it into was- it?
1: It, it was the, the cutaways in a sense were like uh, like they do on Family Guy where mm-hmm. he would say something that would cut away to something that that illustrated his point. But, yes, it was always old movie clips because the whole concept is relayed through the opening credits where he was put down in front of a television set as a kid and just watched TV all day. And so this is how his brain worked. It's essentially how we all function most of the time. Um So, yeah, he was a very relatable character. Now, the thing is, I didn't have HBO, and the only reason I even knew the concept of it was Dream On was one of those shows where it gained immediate notoriety, not just for being funny, but because it was on HBO, they could show nudity. And so that became... You know, oh, hey, Dream On, that's the show with nudity. By the time I finally saw an episode, it was the
0: cut-up and syndicated version that was on one of the UHF channels. I, I I, like, oh, yeah, I believe, I, I, I remember seeing it on Comedy Central while waiting for episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 mm-hmm, to come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So mm-hmm.
1: what they should do is, uh, since they've gotten some episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix, they should get Dream On episodes and, you know, so I can watch one of those and then I could watch uh, Mystery there Science you know. Theater 3000. Yeah, why not? Make an why evening not? of that. But anyway, Radioland Murders uh, was, I mean, you know, it was sort of a big deal because here it is. It's a, a George Lucas story, uh, a George Lucas idea. And it was and this is where it gets a little murky because the story about why Radioland Murders was even made has never been definitively established you know it's one of those sort of classic Lucas stories where depending on the time period you speak to him the reasoning changed the original story I heard and I don't know if you've heard this is that there was always an option for uh, another movie to be released through Universal and it had never been cashed in and so this was Lucas's way of finally honoring that obligation so many years later he said, hey, Universal, you want to make this? And they said, yeah. That that was the story that I heard, but I've also read other things where he said, no, this was just a cute idea that I had, and I wanted Willard and Gloria to write it, and so we just went ahead and did it, and Universal was just the right one to release it with. And something you pointed out as we were getting ready for this is that if you look at the credits for this, a lot of this... Is sort of a testing bed for what was to come with the prequels, in terms of who was going to work on it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not that familiar with the history. My, my, the first time I was ever sort of exposed to this was, um, you know, back around that time, you know, maybe a year or so before this thing came out, is when I started uh, subscribing to the Lucasfilm fan club, you know, yeah, man. magazine, which Old was school. amazing, and. uh um, you know they they talked about it in there because it's like, hey, we've got a new movie coming out from Lucasfilm that doesn't happen every day, and yeah. you know it's like yeah, it's this thing, Radio Land Murders, and I remember like reading about it and thinking like that's interesting. I you know I'm it's not Star Wars, so I'm not really interested in it. You know beyond the fact that it's George Lucas, but I could you know definitely see myself seeing this. I also remember reading back in the 90s about this, you know, mythical movie called Red Tails, which, you know, maybe one day would be made, <laughs> and one day was yeah. made. And, you know, I saw it uh, a couple of years after, you know, it was released on, you know, DVD or whatever because of the whole Lucas thing and all that stuff. But I was really surprised. I know, I think we've talked about this book, the George Lucas interviews, Where it's like a compilation of interviews from George Lucas from uh, throughout the years and various magazines and newspapers and whatnot. Yes, Uh, there's a whole series of these books for directors, you know, and all of them are amazing. There's, you know, a Soderbergh one. There's a there's a Spike Lee one. You know all this stuff, and uh, you know in the George Lucas one. There are a lot of interviews from back in the Star Wars days, which are very, very fascinating since, like you're saying, he kind of likes to revise his his history as well as his movies. And uh, there's talk, from what I recall, way back, like maybe even pre-Star Wars, about this movie called Radioland Murders, which he's planning on doing.
1: I, I believe I believe you're right, but yes, it is in the 1970s. He's talking about that movie, yeah,
0: and it's
1: very apparent that it's sort of in the DNA of this that it has a similar sort of approach to storytelling that uh, he he was doing with American Graffiti, mm-hmm. where it's many different characters and plot lines going on at the same time, running parallel to each other until it all comes together at the end. Yeah, and, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty frenetic.
0: Right. And and what you're saying, I mean like I this is something which I remember reading, I think probably in the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine or whatever is that um they were using Radioland murders a- as a way to test a-, a lot of, you know, new technology and stuff like that which they were planning on implementing in the prequels in a very similar way that they were doing with uh the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Right. And, you know, if you look at it, yeah, there are a lot of people who worked on on both, you know, I mean, because what, this would have been, well, right around the same time, I don't know if it was simultaneously with, you know, Young Indiana Jones or if it was like a year later or something. I know that Young Indiana Jones like has like the longest on location shoot in history or something like that, you know, yeah. um, it's it's crazy. So they they were doing that show forever, but, you know. David Tattersall is the director of photography. Rick mm-hmm. McCallum is the producer. Gavin McKay is the production designer, you know, mm-hmm. and all of these people would go on to do, you know, episode one. So it's kind of a prequel to the prequels.
1: In many ways it is, but just, you know, here we are, we're, t- we're talking about the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, do you want to let people know what
0: Radioland Murders is all about? Sure. Um, it's, uh, The opening night, or whatever you want to call it, for a new um, national radio station in Chicago. It's a a Chicago radio station which is going to go national. They're going to become the fourth uh, national network uh, on radio. And it's uh, the, the opening night, and basically... Uh, the advertisers are uh, upset about the content and, you know, the, the writers need to rewrite the content on the fly. The head writer is getting a divorce uh, from one of the uh, producers or producer assistant. I mean, she's basically the woman running the show. I forget what her title production is. Production manager. No, Production, she, production but manager. But manager's
1: in her title, but yeah, basically production yeah. manager. Production manager,
0: yeah. And... Um, on top of all of this, on top of all of this crazy stuff, which, which goes into, you know, producing live radio, there's a, a murderer on the loose. And uh, they are killing various people associated with the production. And, you know, there's a whole investigation and it's like a it, you know, on top of everything else which is going on. And mm-hmm. hijinks literally ensue.
1: Yes, because of course the main character winds up uh, being you know, accidentally incriminated in everything <laughs> up mm-hmm. to a certain point, and then comes up with a perfectly uh, rational explanation for everything. Because we, as the audience, of course, know he's innocent, and the cops buy into his explanation. And then something else happens, and of course, you know, everything starts unraveling after that point. Uh, but it's what's very interesting about it is is that central love story. Is it has a lot of shades of uh, both the, you know, the the sort of period love story that informed Han Solo and Princess Leia in The Empire Strikes Back, but it also has shades of uh, Lucas, who hadn't gone through his, like, they're, they're, you know, because between the time when he first talked about Radioland murders in the 70s and then when this comes out, his marriage had fallen apart. And so, you know, I I think that if you look at it, you can really see him, uh, I mean, he didn't write the script, but with Lucas, even if he doesn't write the script, you know that he's helping shape things. And there's very much an echo, I think, of uh, maybe something that was familiar about the way that couples can argue with each other. All that to say that the, the main relationship problems all seem very realistic for, you know, a married couple that, you know, is having... Issues, as it were. So, uh, you know, I I think that's an interesting component of it as well, because I think that the you also see that later reflected in the prequels as he continues to work out those issues so many years later uh, that that, you know, that he was working out having to do with why a relationship might not be good and healthy and the right one to be in.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you can definitely see that. You can definitely see the the Lucas touch, you know, throughout this. You know, I mean, I, I mean it's it's it, it, he is kind of like a showrunner in, in a lot of ways, you know, in in putting his his sort of stamp on things, even though it was directed by by Mel Smith, who I think is probably better known as an actor than a director. He's the guy yeah. the guy from Princess Bride, the albino from Princess Bride mm-hmm and but he also uh directed uh my all-time favorite movie bean and by that bean. i mean my all-time least favorite movie like literally bean. when whenever someone's like uh what's the worst movie you've ever seen my go-to is always bean the mr bean movie yes
1: ah yeah well that's not a bad choice for the worst choice <laughs> Yeah. And, you
0: know, like, I think uh, there are a number of people who kind of consider this to be their all-time least favorite movie. I'm exaggerating. But yeah, there's no, there's I... a lot of people who really do not like this movie. And that kind of blows my mind. I, I, you know, I
1: loved it the first time I saw it, and I really enjoyed it this time. What was your reaction to it?
0: Yeah, you know, I've always enjoyed it. You know, and, and it was it was weird because, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I like I, I think I even had the D V D back in the day and everything, and it was one of those movies which I had seen like a couple two or three times in the past and was like, that's a fun movie. But I was never crazy in love with it. And uh when I was watching it, um, you know, I, I was watching it with my wife who had never seen it, didn't know anything about it, and um, you know, it starts up and both of us were like really into it. And I started thinking to myself, like, why is it that people dislike it but also why is it that that I wasn't crazy in love with it before because I'm really responding to it a lot now and it then keeps on going and like I kept on looking at my watch and thinking like when is this thing gonna end when is this thing gonna start wrapping up and you know my even my wife said like you know, every, the longer this thing goes on, the the less I like it, you know, you know, and I, huh. I mean, I, I still enjoy it, but I can definitely see why I wasn't crazy in love with it before. I think that they could have trimmed a good 10 minutes out of it and it probably would have been better. There's a few scenes, a few gags which go on uh, way too long. And, you know, while I don't understand why Roger Ebert gave it. Only one star. I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling in a lot of that ways. That is
1: mind-boggling.
0: Um, I I I don't think that it's you know fantastic either. You know, I I think it's above average. Honestly, well, I, I just, respond. I, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I respond to
1: the humor in it. Um, but I mean, it, there are times where it can be. I mean, pretty easy to make me laugh. You know, I, I like a good pratfall and stuff like that. I agree with you that it loses steam near the end. The, the impression that I always got of it and that I had of it uh, this time as well, is it's sort of like going to see uh, like a, a a comedy play. As short as this movie is, an an intermission, like a ten minute intermission would have benefited it because mm-hmm. I think that um, what it reminded me of was noises off, which is if, if you've ever seen that on stage, there are a lot of comedies, unless they're musicals, where by the time and even some of the musicals and you know musical comedies that you see, by the time it gets to, you know, three quarters of the way through, you're like, okay, okay, I I I figured out the the gag. Let's 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 go home now. Let, let's let's get this done. I don't think that this ever reaches the point of annoyance for me. I wasn't checking my watch, but the laughs become harder to come by. Uh, by the resolution. And then the resolution feels a little off in the sense that it, I don't think that they need to need it to go for the cultural reference they did at the end Um, Mm -hmm. having to do. And this isn't really a spoiler because basically the whole thing is amusing on how radio was killed by TV. And Mm -hmm. so there's very much a big piece of it at the end that is centered on this idea that TV is going to kill radio and it's to go that far and find out that's the gag behind it all. It feel it feels a little uh, forced because you're to have it just be oh and TV killed radio. It's like eh, we all kind of know you know we could have put something else like you could have added a layer onto this one.
0: I guess so, but I mean I, I kind of liked that you know I, I sort of liked you know them placing it in this sort of like historical context and everything. I thought that that was that was kind of interesting, actually. You know that that was part of the okay. the thing that that I responded to. I guess at, I guess, may
1: ending. maybe maybe what I don't respond to is just the 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 structure of the ending mm-hmm. around the television. Like, if it had come out that uh, the television it, minor spoilers here. I mean, it's a comedy movie, and you sort of figure out the gag, you know, by about halfway through, but basically you know all of the killings are for revenge for a patent on a thing that was killed by the people that are being you know killed uh in in this and it it of course all has to do with television is it's not so much that that's the problem as where it specifically ends up i i think because it centers around an actual television i think that is probably the part that comes across as force to me
0: does that make sense I, I guess so. I can see that. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, but, you know, I, I mean, I I guess you know, we're kind of like focusing on, on a lot of the stuff that, that didn't work. But there is a lot of stuff in here, which I, I think does
1: work. Oh, absolutely. There's, yeah. There is a lot. I mean, I, I you know, the, like you said, the idea that, that Ebert gave this one star is, is mind boggling. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get that at all. No, I mean Because either. there are some legitimate... Great laughs. Um, and of course, you know, like I said, a lot of the actors, you're like, oh, that guy, oh her. Yes, I know them. But the guy who plays the lead detective, he's hysterical. He's a scene stealer. He he gets it a hundred percent right. Um I think that there's a lot of pacing and a lot of the the comedic uh moments, uh, you know, of of Brian Ben Ben hiding under the table while Jeffrey Tambor is hiding behind the curtains. You know, is is that very classic sort of thing, and that's what really reads as a stage play to me. But those sorts of things always really work well. They're always fun, and I think that the writers' room is tremendously funny with yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait in it. Yeah, and he's seeing great. the writers, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, um, Peter McNichols like come up with everything, there. and yeah. and having the moment where you know the the actors start, you know, going off on on their own and that you show bobcat goldthwaite in the writer's room saying the actors are improvising Ah!" and he like runs off it's like that's a cute moment
0: yeah he was he was really good in this you know Uh, yeah definitely for sure he was he was a highlight for me um but yeah i mean you're right that there's like so many i mean you know stephen tobolowski and you know Mm -hmm. all, all those all those people michael mckean and everything
1: Yes. A- any movie with Michael McKean is instantly better. Uh, Corbin Burnson's in it? Yeah. Uh, Brian I James. Mean, um Yeah, that's right. All that that's stuff.
0: Right. I I mean it's 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 Ned a, Beatty? Yeah, Ned Beatty, yeah. It's it's a stellar cast for sure. It and is. uh you know, everyone is is bringing it. Christopher Lloyd, you know, who's got a, a Oh name. gosh, as the sound guy is yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the other elements of it, I think, are all very well done, too. I mean, you know, I mean, we've talked about how Lucas is a good editor and, you know, this movie is very well put together. I mean, yeah, we're talking about how it kind of drags and maybe you could tighten it up. But as far as like scene construction is concerned and stuff like that, I think it's it's very well done. Um, you know, the, the look, you know, creating that sort of, you know, like 30s art deco, you know, radio station aesthetic thing i mean it's beautiful gavin gavin beckay um who did you know episode one and then everything Well, all the prequels i guess right and uh the, the photography is very nice too you know it's got a very sharp you know clean look you know with you know some pretty bold colors and everything it reminded me a lot of like episode two you know Mm -hmm. Um, David Tattersall so yeah I mean there's a lot of a a lot of really good stuff in here a lot of stuff which is you know sort of goes above and beyond um, what you would expect in this type of movie you know this kind of like little comedy you know a lot Mm -hmm. of like visual effects you know I mean that was like one of the things where you know reading that that Lucasfilm magazine where they're like you know they're trying out visual effects which are going to be used in episode one and I'm like where like how uh, you know and i mean looking at it now it's still but i i get the impression that there's probably a lot of hidden visual effects which we weren't even aware of just like there oh, were sure. in in the prequels you know and he was probably trying a lot of stuff out that way there's also like if you listen to the sound there are tons of sound effects which are taken right out of star wars movies or indiana mm-hmm. jones movies very easily identifiable one which i mean a lot of you know like whip cracks or gunshots or whatever yeah. you know ambient noise but the one that really kind of blew my mind was at one point you hear the wampa growl which part is that it of, of was like uh, it was like part of the sound guy's stuff right he's oh, doing something okay. yes. and they're yeah, like yeah, they yeah. go into a cavern and you know there could be a, a monster in there or something and you hear a wampa it's 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 weird. It's weird. I mean they they just they just went into that that Lucasfilm, uh catalog, that Skywalker sound catalog and well the the script the
1: script also has some very deft uh <laughs> there there's a very uh very, very 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 sly Howard the Duck reference in it. Uh where they say men, women, children and ducks. And I was like, "Oh, there's no way that's not a Howard the Duck reference." Like because, <laughs> you know, uh Hoik and and Katz wrote howard the duck so there there's no way that's not a reference but then at uh the end you have an i love you i know callback with mary stewart masterson saying what kind of a response is that and they get into another fight and it's it's funny because i consider it it's not just a callback to empire strikes back but to the fact that lucas fought that line being included until it was shown to a test audience that went nuts for it Mm -hmm. and he turned and looked at at Kirshner and said, you well, I guess you were right. And they kept the line in there. No, seriously, because that was, you know, everybody knows Harrison Ford improv improvised that on the, on the, on the set. Uh, Carrie Fisher was actually upset. Uh, there, there's an out of print book called, uh, once upon a galaxy, uh, by 20th century Fox, uh, unit publicist. I think Alan Arnold, Arnold was his name. Yeah. Uh, but in it, he documents that, that Fisher got upset. She's like, what kind of, you know, come on this is crazy and Lucas pushed back and he was like that that's not what it says in the script we can't use that and Kirshner was saying no 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 this is fantastic people are going to love it it's it's, it's wonderful it's off the cuff it's unexpected and so to have that referenced here including her reaction of saying that's a ridiculous reaction feels very much like Lucas being very self-aware and working with them as they write the script and they only wrote the first uh, draft of the script because
0: there are two other screenwriters credited on this. Yeah, so, they probably wrote one back in the 70s and then wrote another probably. one in like the 90s or whatever, you know, polished it that's up. That's probably accurate. Yeah, that's probably accurate.
1: But yes, you can feel that Lucas's hand is on there making sort of like a double reference to uh Empire Strikes back there.
0: Also, the the opening, I mean, you know, I know it's a musical number and everything, but even like the way that the credits and the title are sort of like placed on the screen and everything was very very reminiscent of Temple of Doom.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh I, yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing is as I, as I'm thinking back on it, yeah, we we kind of hammered on how it sort of runs out of steam, you know, a, as it keeps going. But man, there really are a lot of really good gags in it and I think that also what it foretells is the sense of humor that informed some of what people didn't like about episode one, uh you know, specifically with how it was expressed with Jar Jar. Like, you see a lot of those sensibilities because it was Lucas's whole intention that Jar Jar was going to be a Buster Keaton-like character, and you can see a lot of those pratfalls and silly humor and stuff that makes sort of the more childish side of you laugh rather than, you know, it being, you know, erudite adult humor mm-hmm. as it were
0: yeah yeah I, I can see that i can see that i guess you know here it's so fast-paced you know almost like empire strikes back you know with the the sort of like screwball comedy nature and you know the, the timing i think is a bit better i mean it's hard you know i think in the digital realm to get comic timing down on things like oh, I agree. Falls, you know
1: i i, I completely agree what you know i i think that um I mean that's a whole conversation for a whole other day, Hmm. but uh, I I agree with you. You can't. I, I think that comedy is something that absolutely will always require a live human actor to portray. Because if we have to take the leap of believing that the character exists, and then you try to sell it as a comic character, that's that's basically two leaps you're trying to make us take. You know, we we already know we're sitting in a in an unreal environment, and then to ask us to take two more leaps is is a little much, a little much. Yeah, and
0: and certainly there are like exceptions and different types of. I mean, you know, I mean, there's lots of cartoons out there which are very funny, but you know, for something like that, you know, integrating it with live action and everything, it's it's tough. You know, yeah, it's no, it,
1: it 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 absolutely is. It absolutely is. Yeah. So, uh, final thoughts. Would you recommend Radio Land Murders to somebody who's never seen it before? Would you say, you know what? Yeah, you should go check this out.
0: Yeah, I would. I mean, for one thing, I think it is a, a very entertaining movie. You know, even if it does, you know, have its flaws, it's still better than most movies. You know, it's still funnier than most movies. I think a lot of the, the actors are very charming, in particular, you know, like Mary Stewart Masters, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I don't, um, think that it's a fantastic movie. I don't think that it's one of Lucas's best or one of Lucasfilm's best. It's definitely not their worst either. You know, I'd watch this over Willow any day of the week. You know what I mean? Uh, no now, oh come, what? Right. You know what? We're gonna watch Willow then. Oh, We're God. gonna watch Willow. Why can't you we just, watch just like seal Tucker the deal, Man in His Dream? Why are we? Oh, we should watch Tucker Man in His Dream. Anyway, I've never seen that actually. Oh, seriously? seriously i've oh, never man. seen it it's pretty badass yeah you like it okay you like it it's all right
1: good. well you'll get to watch willow and i'll get to watch tucker man, and
0: yeah, man but see i've seen willow i've seen willow That's yeah but not... you spoke ill of willow so i must punish you oh i spoke illow oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> remind me not to do that again willow was fantastic um <laughs> too late too late you can't he? can't unring that bell mike Okay, but Willow makes Radioland Murders look like Tucker, man in his dream. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, this, you know, Radioland Murders is, is, is a very solid movie. And I do think, you know, as presumably people who are listening to this are Star Wars fans. And I think, you know, historically speaking, it is fascinating to look at this in the context of a bunch of people trying to figure out how to make episode one and sort of getting their feet wet in that realm and uh, just kind of like seeing, you know, that the seeds being planted for, for what would come, you know, five years down the road. So, so yes, I would definitely recommend radio land murders. I'm assuming you would too. I absolutely would. I think that, I think that it's fun. I think that it's silly and I think
1: that there are worse ways to spend your evening than to you know turn this on. Do I think that after watching it you're gonna go out and buy it and add it to your Blu-ray collection? No, probably not, but it really is worth seeing. I mean you know at least once. You know, give it a spin. It might really ring funny for you, but at the very least, like Mike said, you'll get to see the creative team for episode one figuring things out. And it's it's fascinating from that aspect as well so that's uh, our thoughts on Radio and Murders. Uh, Mike, where can people find you online?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary track stars, And you can find me on TalkFilmSociety.com, doing Soderbergh2828, where we talk about the movie Kafka, which was designed by Gavin Bakay. And there is a, a story there about how um, while he, he, was, he was designing um, Kafka, Bouquet talked to Soderbergh and was like, hey, George Lucas offered me a job doing production design on Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, but I don't really know if I want to make that commitment. And Soderbergh was like, just do it. What do you have to lose? And then Bouquet got the job. Designing Star Wars Episode One, So, hey, if go. it weren't for Kafka, there would be no <laughs> Radioland Murders designed by Gavin Bacay. Anyway, there you, go. You, can, you can listen to our Kafka episode where we talk a lot about the design, I think, um, over there on TalkFilmSociety.com. And you can also find me on Trek.fm where I do a show called Stage 9 with you. That's right, with me.
1: With me, I'm over co-hosting Stage 9 with you on Trek.fm which is this show but for Star Trek creators. It's it's a lot of a lot of uh, fun. We 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 get a little zany over there sometimes uh on our own. So yeah. we have a we have a good time. Um and uh you can also find me right here uh, on the network co-hosting aggressive negotiations with Matthew rushing uh, which is a Star Wars show of a different flavor where we uh, delve into the weirdness of the Star Wars galaxy. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig where we're just a little bit insane. Um, and look for me at uh, as Kessel Junkie or at KesselJunkie.com So join us next week where we talk about a controversial blog over on KesselJunkie.com about Lucas versus the Story Group.